Hey everyone, today we're starting the episode with everyone's favorite, an explanation. We recorded this episode a couple weeks ago, so that's why we talk a lot about Russia without ever mentioning the invasion, which we obviously think is awful. All right, with that context, please enjoy the episode, unless you're Putin. Hey everyone, after today's episode on hacking, if there's any hackers who want to come after Kellen and me, <laughs> all I can say is go after our listeners instead. We'll give you their emails. Please spare us. Today's book is This Is How They Tell Me The World Ends by Nicole Perlroth, requested by a listener who you should definitely hack instead of us. <laughs> I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and if you work for the NSA, then you probably knew that last one before I did. <laughs> I'm dying to know that backstory. <laughs> And I'm David Vance. This is my favorite book of life hacks, stories of people whose lives were ruined by hacks. This is how they tell me the world ends has a message about cybersecurity that you may have already heard from Brene Brown. You're incredibly vulnerable. <laughs> and this is the book pile. All right. In the spirit of this book, if you want to feel really cool, leave us a review. And when you hit send, just sort of chuckle and say, just hacked the mainframe. <laughs> The Lone Sane Person wrote, This podcast is extremely funny, yet also informative. It introduced me to books I would have never read before. Both hosts are funny, parentheses, especially the JFK jokes. <laughs> <laughs> that is all the validation we need. <laughs> Finally, our next two books are A Roast of Goldfinger and The Storyteller by Dave Grohl. And wouldn't it be hilarious if he just skips over Nirvana? <laughs> So after Kurt passed, <laughs> that's how it starts. <laughs> All right. And without further ado, here are four lessons that we took from this is how they tell me the world ends. All right. Lesson one, take hackers seriously. So I once wrote an ad for a company that had great cybersecurity, but they wouldn't let us write about it in the ad because they were worried they'd just be daring hackers to attack them. <laughs> And they said, look at Todd Davis, the CEO of LifeLock, which is a company that fights identity theft. He was so confident that he published his social security number to show how good his company was. And then his identity got stolen 13 times. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, if you go to his Wikipedia page, it says, Todd Davis is the co-founder of LifeLock that became a subsidiary of Simon Tech in 2019. His social security number is 457-555462. That's one of those things that is actually such a great idea, uh -huh. but it has to work. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh yeah, if it had worked and he became a billionaire, we'd still be talking about what a cool move it was. Yeah. That fail rate is still extremely low, but you can't, he can't rationalize. I'm sure he tried to. I like, no, 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 that was 13 out of like 7 million people who tried. <laughs> sure. And to be clear, that's 13 that we know of as of 2010. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would be like, Check it out, everyone. Uh, I invented this new lightweight bulletproof vest. Works most of the time. <laughs> I, I looked up his photo, and there's this image of him doing a Mad Money interview. And I don't know if it was after he got hacked, but it certainly looks like the face of a man who published his social and then got hacked. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wait, why? Because he was wearing a mask? Because <laughs> he looks like a bunch of different people. Anyway. <laughs> so I started with that because, you know, some of you may not be worried about cyber threats or they may seem harmless, but they can genuinely ruin your life. So my buddy has a, a security cam inside his house and he was with his cousin-in-law who works in cybersecurity and the cousin was like, watch this. And he just hacked the camera and showed him what the inside of his house looked oh. like just right there, right in front of him. Isn't that nuts? <laughs> That's why I always cover my computer and phone camera and I can't cover my microphone, but I make sure when I'm around my phone to only tell lies. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, she says, you know, take this really seriously. Get two-factor authentication on your email. It takes like 10 minutes to set up. And seriously, just pause right now. Google two-factor authentication for your email and just do it. It's so quick. She also says, make sure your password is unique, not the same one you use for everything. I have a brother who, in his late 20s, I could still log into his accounts because he still used the same password he did in elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> Is it on his Wikipedia page? <laughs> <laughs> it can be in a couple minutes. <laughs> and this is a big one. Run your software updates. So I didn't know this till recently. Lots of those software updates, both your phone and your computer, it's because they realize there's a huge security flaw that hackers are using right now. And those alerts don't make a big enough deal about it. They're just like, run this when you have time. <laughs> like they should be screaming at you, but I think they don't want to admit how often they get hacked. So it'd be like if your milkman were like, just dropping by uh, some Giardia tests, not a big deal. <laughs> there's a sketch I want to write called the timid Titanic safety guy. <laughs> Where he's like, hey, everyone, follow me. Uh, oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> so you've been on a cruise, Dave, right? Yeah. So you know mm -hmm. that like that first day, as you're sort of settling in, they have the, they call it a muster drill, where like whatever cabin that you have, you are assigned numerically to a certain area of the ship. And everyone just sort of walks there and waits. And they run you through, like, here's what would happen. And if we start taking on water, you'd grab your medication from your room. You'd grab your life vest. You would stand in this place until someone told you to get onto a boat. And maybe this is why I got fired from working cruise ships. But I would open with a joke that, like, isn't it insane, that drill? <laughs> As if that would actually happen. Like I would tell everyone in these like 2,000 seat theaters, everyone <laughs> here knows right now that the moment that alarm goes off, we are running over smaller people in front of us to get to those boats. <laughs> and the nearest boat, not the one you're supposed to go to. Like I am, <laughs> right? Exactly. No one, no one's gonna be like roaming the halls, pulling out their card. Like, let's see, uh, um, D seven. Could you tell me where? <laughs> like, I am, I am breaking that fire extinguisher case and using that thing, just fanning it in front of me, plowing over a guess. You can down a kid with that if you get him in the eyes. <laughs> I meant hitting them with the canister. <laughs> <laughs> At those mustard drills, I always want to put them to the test by just pushing one person overboard. <laughs> anyway, all, all this to say, the consequences of getting hacked can be so huge. So the way the Democrats got hacked was 
John Podesta got a phishing email and he ran it by IT. And an aide wrote back saying, this is an illegitimate email, but he accidentally wrote legitimate. And that's got to be the biggest typo in history. Like maybe a typo that lost the presidency. The only other time was when Congress accidentally confirmed George Bush. (laughs) All right. Lesson two. Sometimes investigative journalism is a how-to book. So it was crazy to me. Like throughout this book, Pearl Roth uncovers some of the most violating, destructive cyber attacks in history. Plus, she gives detailed instructions on how they were carried out, should you ever want to. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't you find that her detail was like unnecessarily clear? So there are tons of examples in the book, but here are just... (laughs) He says now going equally detailed. (laughs) It's like how it's impossible to refute something terrible someone said without repeating what they said. (laughs) So, So these first two are a little more broad, and then the last one is extremely specific and readily applicable. So a zero day is what they call a vulnerability, like a bug in a program that hasn't been caught or patched up yet. So at one point in the book, she talks about this guy she calls Zero Day Charlie, who found... (laughs) What an amazing nickname. (laughs) I feel like if you saw that guy on like Tinder, you'd have to swipe right just out of curiosity. (laughs) Who wouldn't go on a date with Zero Day Charlie? (laughs) So, So Zero Day Charlie, he found this one bug that would allow him to control machines even at nasa and she tells us (laughs) seems like a problem (laughs) and then she goes on to tell us the five best options that are available to you if you achieve this hacking merit badge (laughs) does she have any links she's (laughs) i'd love if she has affiliate links with these black hat hackers (laughs) So she says, number one, Zero Day Charlie, he could tip off vendors to the bug and hope he didn't get threatened in the process. Number two, he could keep the bug for himself and use it for his own purposes, which sounds like, you know, an an origin story. (laughs) Uh, Number three. He already has a supervillain name. (laughs) His origin story was when his parents named him that. We thought about Gary, but he has a cousin, Gary, so we picked Zero Day from his mom's side. (laughs) It sounds like a line from a B-Western. You're going to regret the day you cross Zero Day Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely a studio that couldn't afford John Wayne. Start crossing off the days on your calendar. Too late. I'm already here. Zero day, Charlie. (laughs) Zero day, Charlie sounds like a guy who sucks at getting sober. (laughs) (laughs) He's constantly showing you his zero day chip. (laughs) It's just a beer coaster. (laughs) So his third option with this powerful bug seems like the lamest one to me. And that is, she says, he could take it to the press and get street cred for his discovery. (laughs) 
That sounds like one that no hacker ever does, but she's trying to make it seem. <laughs> she's trying to make it seem like an equally cool option. <laughs> like this is the one where he gets nothing for it, but then every once in a while, across a Chili's, there's a silent <laughs> nod from another guy on his laptop. <laughs> And so uh, the last two are that he could uh, he could sell it to iDefense, or probably the scariest one is that he could sell it on the underground market directly to a government agency. But he said that he was worried about what they would use it for. And it's like, oh, come on, Charlie. They would only use it on bad guys. <laughs> right? <laughs> So then she also talks about how the U.S. hacked uh, Iranian centrifuges, making them spin out of control until they were damaged beyond repair. The U.S., like, we did this a bunch um, until we were finally caught. But she could have just shared it that way. Like, that's what we did, right? Like, two sentences. She spends half of a chapter giving this step-by-step approach. You know, (laughs) if you ever get that an offer for this job on TaskRabbit. <laughs> but the most fascinating part of those attacks to me were the the ingenious part of this virus. She compared it to the movies when a criminal p- will put a security camera feed on a loop so that everything appears fine, you know, to that lackluster guard who is always like eating fast food. You know, that scene that we've seen in every movie. <laughs> those poor guards. <laughs> <laughs> Always outwitted by a combo of tech and Burger King. (laughs) (laughs) While the camera just slowly zooms in onto this one screen. (laughs) So in this virus that the U.S. uh, inserted into their programming, there was a part of it that would test the centrifuges at different speeds, but it would also have the computer readout data appear as if everything was completely normal. And so this is this is why they were successful. Even when they were monitoring these things 24-7, everything looked fine. The other funny thing about the virus is that it was targeted at centrifuges, but the virus spread a lot to the point where it even infected Chevy's computers. <laughs> <laughs> they just cast out this really wide net to get one bad actor. Which is a cr- <laughs> which is a crazy move. Because it was their rationale was like, yeah, it's a virus, but it'll really only affect centrifuges. Like, the, <laughs> knowing that it would go all over the place. Unbeknownst to them, it starts hitting carnivals that have those spinny rides. <laughs> all the park goers are pancaked on the bottom of there. It's the price of freedom. <laughs> Oh no, we enriched these humans. <laughs> All their heavier isotopes went to the bottom. <laughs> so this last one is uh, the very specific one where at one point she's talking about the CIA physically targeting computers and planting these implants for spying. She says, quote, sometimes It was as simple as a CIA officer throwing on a hard hat, dressing up as a construction worker, and walking into the offices of the target. (laughs) And then she says, one CIA officer told her, it's amazing what people let you do when you're wearing a hard hat. (laughs) (laughs) 
So <laughs> that's what you can do right now. Get on Amazon, <laughs> grab one of these hats, and then just walk into places. See how far you get. <laughs> I never thought that people would get it, but I always thought the perfect Halloween costume to dress up as a billionaire would be a guy in a hard hat and a business suit. <laughs> Like you're the architect at the site. Right, that's what I see in every movie. There's just always that moment where it's like, it's a bunch of construction workers and yeah, two guys in suits with hard hats. And they're both like pointing in the distance at the same thing. <laughs> I like to think that both of those guys are just construction workers dressing for the job they want. <laughs> And every day they get their only suit filthy. <laughs> they can't get promoted because they keep blowing all their wages on new suits. <laughs> I love the image of like a guy in a full-on three-piece suit sitting on an I-beam 80 stories up with a bologna sandwich. <laughs> like flipping his tie over his shoulder. <laughs> It really makes that Great Depression photo hit a little different. <laughs> you know what's crazy about that photo is that when I was in New York City, I believe that was for the 30 Rockefeller or the Empire State Building, they staged that photo. Like, you look at it. Oh, they did? Yeah. And if you think about it for a second, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, why would, like, who would choose to be in the middle? <laughs> like, all right, guys, sit down. Well, let's all scooch you over so we can all fit <laughs> on this one beam. There's plenty of room up there. I do think about that. When I see that photo, they're all on that beam. No one's wearing any safety restraints. <laughs> the first thought is like, wow, they're all really confident. And then the second thought is, they're all sure they have no enemies. <laughs> <laughs> I think if anything, that was it was proof that like that annoying picture taker has been around as long as cameras. Because <laughs> you know those guys are like, can we just eat now? Do we have to? <laughs> I'm okay with the photo person, but like, can it just not always be the first thing we have to do? <laughs> Like, can we can we do the thing we came here for and then snap a photo? Sorry, I'm going through some personal stuff on this. <laughs> All right, lesson three. The government may in some ways slightly not value your privacy. <laughs> so this is a short one. <laughs> so here's apparently how the NSA works today. They spend millions paying hackers to find vulnerabilities in like Apple, Google, Microsoft, the tech we all use. And when they find those things that make millions of us unsafe, they don't tell the companies so that they'll fix them. They just keep them <laughs> in case they need them. Wow. So the WannaCry virus that shut down all those hospitals, that happened because the NSA got hacked and their tools got stolen. And WannaCry was based on one of their tools. Oh, so the NSA found a vulnerability, didn't tell people, lost it, and then sick and dying people paid the price. Oh, but I'm very glad we're safe. <laughs> <laughs> also, just to have an idea of what the scale of this is, Iranians have hacked a dam in New York. 
Russia shut off Ukraine's power in the middle of winter. Chinese hackers stole the designs for the F-35 jet and the code for Google. Someone keeps using my Netflix. Like disastrous things (laughs) could come of these kinds of breaches. And we have an agency that is just hoarding all of these zero days because they want to play offense rather than playing defense. That's just the excuse that you use when you pull up Netflix in front of someone else and you're like, wait, how did Gilmore Girls get on here again? Who is (laughs) Russia? (laughs) Putin, you tricky snake. Well, while we're watching, (laughs) I'm going to watch the rest of the episode he was on for clues. I have a problem with the system in general. Like, it's a real chicken and egg situation, but not really. (laughs) She says (laughs) at one point, quote, we ironically owe hackers for security, meaning that the government finally realized that the hackers they were catching could be valuable if they paid them even more to find holes in cyber defense. But to me, like, (laughs) we wouldn't need the security in the first place if everyone would just stop hacking. (laughs) The only solution is a good hacker with a gun. <laughs> to, to, me, to me, it's like saying, you know what's great about thieves is that they could teach us how to make good thief-proof stuff. <laughs> I also don't think people realize what big hacks have happened lately. Like, have you heard about solar winds? No. They hacked the Treasury Department. Oh, my word. It is crazy how commonplace it's become... Seems like every couple months it's like Marriott Bonvoy was hacked and I'll I'll get an email that says that you and a hundred million other people's identity was possibly compromised. Change your password. Oh it's like my password doesn't matter. <laughs> I can't change my social. I can't change my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Lesson four. There's no going back. That's pretty much it, because now everything is connected to the internet. Pearl Roth at one point says that this is what has made the U.S. the most vulnerable nation on Earth. So here are just a few things that are connected to the internet. Nuclear stations, hospitals, chemical plants, oil refineries, gas and oil pipelines, factories, farms, cars, traffic lights, and in your home, thermostats, light bulbs, refrigerators, stoves, baby monitors, pacemakers, insulin pumps, etc. She says at one point in the early 2000s, we were plugging our things into the internet at a rate of 120 devices per second. Wow. And she continues, and along the way, we never paused to consider that we were creating the world's largest attack surface. Such a great way of putting it. And if you're listening right now and you're going, well, I don't have any of that stuff computerized in my home. It's only my phone. Well, just know that your phone is a thousand times more dangerous of a thing that can be hacked than your fridge. (laughs) Like, oh, crap, Diane, those cyber terrorists ruined our jello again. (laughs) (laughs) Hasn't this family suffered enough? (laughs) So I... I think I have the solution to this, but Dave, I just wanted to know if you had any ideas for solving this global crisis. After reading this book, I, I was already pretty paranoid about the NSA and all the things they've done and, you know, them 
passing nude photos around the NSA, which when Edward Snowden said that, they never denied it. They just said, we don't tolerate that. (laughs) So I was already paranoid about the NSA. After reading this, I'm like, man, with how incredibly vulnerable we are, like a dam was hacked. It's crazy that our resources are going so much toward offense and not defense. It almost feels like you have a very flammable house and you have the choice to either make it less flammable or collect matches <laughs> to like set other people's houses on fire. And also you have a history of having your matches stolen and used on your house. <laughs> like it just seems like it's hard to imagine security threats that are bigger than the ones created by letting those bugs continue. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So no solutions? <laughs> well, I just think I'd rather that those resources were devoted toward shoring up oh, yeah. those zero days. All those Charlies. Than trying to find out what one marijuana dealer is doing tonight. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so the only real solution I see is to just live your life and just really hope that you're never targeted. <laughs> I mean, I think you can do things that make you hopefully a little safer. Like, nothing's nothing's a guarantee, but she does talk about some things that are at least helpful. Like, at least make them work for it. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm sure when that hydroelectric facility was hacked, they were like, ah, I knew our password shouldn't have been damn one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> <laughs> All right, random facts. So this story kills me. Have you ever heard of the Lazarus heist? No. Although it sounds like a Dan Brown novel. (laughs) (laughs) No, this one has facts. (laughs) So North Korean hackers almost stole a billion dollars. They sent a transfer request to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, and they successfully got away at least 80 million. And they almost got the full billion, but someone noticed that they had spelled foundation, foundation. And imagine you're the banker that fell for this and you lost a billion dollars and you have to tell your boss, uh, I sent it to this foundation. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, there's this really odd moment in the book where Pearl is like obviously very anti-Apple, but she never gives any details why before or after this. She just words this one sentence like this. Speaking of Apple, quote, their Cupertino headquarters are surrounded by vertical slabs, the same ones as Trump chose for his border wall. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that and a thousand other businesses. Like, I've seen that fence everywhere. <laughs> Their CEO breathed oxygen, you know, like Hitler. (laughs) So at one point, Google got hacked by China. And it was this huge problem, major disaster for them. And later they found out it happened because this Chinese official, Li Changchun, didn't like what came up if you Googled him. (laughs) And I hope if I ever get that kind of power, I too am still that kind of petty. (laughs) Like, imagine what you could have done after your Kimmel special. <laughs> I wish I, I was try China. One of those lines. <laughs> <laughs> so she says at one point that uh, when Facebook came out, 
the amount of information that it used to take investigators nine years to collect now takes minutes. Wow. And it's because of how humans are so willing to just throw everything online. Like, I barely use Facebook, and I'll probably cancel it completely this year. But when you fill it out, it is like you're being investigated, but it's almost like you're flattered by it, right? It's like you slightly (laughs) rephrase the questions that Facebook asks you when you join. It's like you're being interrogated, but nobody sees it that way. Because it's like, Mm -hmm. hey there, (laughs) what's your name? (laughs) What's your birthday? (laughs) Where do you live? What do you like to eat? Where do you like to have fun? Who are your friends? What hobby? What music do you like? Are you a member of any (laughs) of specific clubs or societies? (laughs) Like, (laughs) What's your income level? (laughs) So she talks about some Google projects. Google made a product called Dragonfly to do censored search in China. They also hosted an app in Saudi Arabia that allowed men to track and control the movement of female family members. And they got a contract with the Pentagon to help do imaging for drone strikes, which I didn't even know you could do on Google Earth. (laughs) Anyways, it's making me wonder if we maybe should have been suspicious when their motto was, don't be evil. (laughs) Like if a babysitter's motto was, don't kill and eat the kids, (laughs) we'd have questions. This economist I follow on Twitter, shut up, talks about how... (laughs) Sorry, let me wake up. (laughs) He talks about how Putin is this far-right corrupt oligarch, but because he's in Russia, all these people on socialist Twitter always defend him. (laughs) It's like he's not, they're not that anymore, my friends. (laughs) That's not the situation. (laughs) All right, to recap, our favorite lessons from This Is How They Tell Me The World Ends. One, take hackers seriously. Two, sometimes investigative journalism is a how-to book. Three, the government may in some ways slightly not value your privacy. Four, there's no going back. And five, the name's Charlie. Zero Day Charlie. (laughs) 